good morning, afternoon, or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. One more time, would you clap your hands unto the Lord? You can make your way back to your seats. Amen. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord this evening? I think you can. uh, Let's try that one more time. Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord this evening? Amen. Amen. I know I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be in the north. This morning when I left Fort Lauderdale, just north of Miami. Anybody know where Miami's at? When I left Miami at 5.15 or at 7 o'clock this morning, it was almost 80 degrees. And by noon today, it was 82 degrees. So when I got off the plane in Buffalo, I walked outside. I figured I'll wait out here for pastor to come retrieve me. I walked out and I said, I'm going to wait in there for pastor to come get me. And I'm still trying to warm up from that. Um. My blood has thinned out uh, since I've lived in South Florida, and it is, it is cool to actually have, be in the winter. And I know to you guys, this is mild weather. Um, I was taking pictures of the snow and sending it to friends and family. Uh, so it's so good to be here with all of you. It's such an honor to be with Pastor and Sister O'Donnell and their family. Uh, I got the pleasure to go to Youth on Missions with Brother O'Donnell and Luke um, this past summer in June. We went to Ecuador together. And uh, we just enjoyed each other's company, uh, had a great moves of God all throughout the uh, South America, and uh, made plans to come be uh, with you guys then. Now, Pastor O'Donnell said, I'd love for you to come and do our youth weekend. And you know how sometimes pastors say that, and then you never, you know, they lose your phone number or something, they forget about you. Well, Pastor O'Donnell called me, and we scheduled to be here, and I've been looking forward to it, and I'm so glad to be here. It was such a pleasure to meet Brother Ray this this uh, morning, this yeah, this morning, maybe afternoon. By the time we caught up, um, I'm a youth pastor. I know how much time and effort's gone into this weekend from him. Would you give your youth pastor a hand if you know that he's put some time and effort? And uh, we've got some things in common. Three, three small kids. We talked about that at lunch today. So I look forward to getting to meet his family after service tonight. I wish my family could be with me. We tried to work it out that. Sister Rocio, my wife, could come, but it just did not work out. And um, so she's at home with our three kids. So if you, if you happen to snap a photo of me uh, at any point during this youth weekend, make it look like I'm having a terrible time, all right? She's at home with our six-year-old, our three-year-old, and our two-year-old. And uh, so um, she's, uh, I, I'm trying to downplay it, man, the weather's terrible, I don't know, we're just going to stay in the room, and, you know, I'm trying to downplay what's going on so that I have a wife to go home to when this is all over. Uh, there was a wonderful gift basket in the room today, I want to say thank you for all the wonderful hospitality, and, um, and let's, let's have church, all right? We've had fun tonight, and we're going to have some more fun, and then we're going to let the Lord have his way. Someday, 20 or 30 years from now, You're going to tell somebody, you're going to say, I was there, and they're not going to believe you, but you were here the night of the greatest Jenga battle of all time. 
It's going to go down in legend and infamy, and nobody will believe that you were actually here, but I was here with you. And, uh, but we're, gonna, we're asking that the Lord would have his way. Would you, t- would you turn to, in your Bibles? Stand, if you don't mind. Stand and turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And we'll just read a few passages and move around a little bit, and I'll figure out when we're done, and then you can be seated. Exodus chapter 2 said, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, the daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a godly or goodly child, I'm sorry, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off and whipped to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And the child grew, verse 10, and the child grew, and she brought him up unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. Tonight, we're going to kind of take a, do a character study on uh, Moses, one of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament. And from his story, we're going to take a look at, uh, at the greatest moment of your life. The greatest, the, the, greatest, from the greatest moment of his life will be a picture of the greatest moment of your life. Tonight I want to preach to you from that passage and from this title, Your Finest Hour. Your Finest Hour. Amen. You may be seated. So as you read the stories of the Old Testament and the patriarchs, you go from Abraham and Noah, or Adam to Noah to Abraham to Joseph to... to to Moses and and Moses is one of the most spectacular characters of the Bible because we get a picture of his life from his infancy until his death and we follow his life all the way through and we see day after day stage after stage moment after moment in his life some of the patriarchs that we celebrate and talk about we see them for just a snapshot of time just a just a moment one great story one great moment but not Moses we get we get his story from infancy to his death and Moses his life uh, is one incredible miracle after another. Moses has one miracle followed by the next, followed by the next. And many of the miracles in his life, if we experience them, they would be the highest moment, the benchmark moment of our life. We would build a sermon around that and we'd preach it at every youth convention and every youth week. We would be known for that miracle that took place in our life. And these type things happen to Moses all the time. For instance, the fact that Moses survived his infancy was a miracle. 
Pharaoh began to look at the people of Egypt and the people of uh, the Hebrew people who had come to Egypt under Joseph's rule and under Joseph's leadership. And he began to recognize that their God is blessing them and making them more and mightier than we are. And one day they may turn on us and take our, our kingdom from us. And so they began to kill the firstborn or they began to kill every baby boy that was born in the kingdom. They would take them to the Nile and they would pitch them in the Nile River and they would be destroyed by that rushing river and no doubt crocodiles and all. And what a tragic, what a horrible thing to experience. I've got a young son. I've got three young children. I can't imagine living in a scenario like that. And Moses' mother, she looks on him and she says, this is a good boy. This is a handsome dude. We cannot let him go to waste. We cannot let this happen to him. And so she hides him away for three months, which seems impossible. If you have a three-week-old, it is hard to hide them. All they do is cry. Uh, you couldn't turn the radio up and drown it out. So she hides him until that option is no longer good, and she goes for the next best good option. We'll build a basket and float him down a river. When that's your best option, things aren't going so well. We'll, build, we'll take a basket, we'll put some slime in it, we'll stick the three-month-old in it who can't feed himself or talk, and we will float him down the river that, is tr that has been used to destroy all of his kinsmen and have good luck. I wonder if they pinned a $20 bill to his chest and said, you just make do, buddy, you'll be all right. So they float him down the river, and this is not a good option. But then Miriam, his older sister, she gets in the river, and she's along the flags, and she is walking. And oh no, the, 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 the ark that he is in is floating towards the palace, Pharaoh's house, the madman that is killing baby Hebrew boys. And if he goes there, what is going to happen if they find him? And oh, even worse, there is the princess. Oh, and guards and soldiers, if they see him... They are going to take him and they are going to destroy him. And the Bible says that, his, that her maidens are walking along the riverbank. You know what their job was? Their job was if a crocodile eats someone, eat you while the princess escapes. They had a great job. They walk around and they make sure that the princess is okay. And the princess is bathing in the Nile. And they find this basket floating down the river. And they peel it open. You might imagine, this is the daughter of a genocidal maniac. And now he has floated up to that home. This seems like the worst case scenario. He is out of the frying pan and into the fire. But in fact, she looks on him and the Bible says she is moved with compassion. And she falls in love with him. And she begins to say, I want this baby. This will be my son. This will be my child. But see, there's a problem. Back then, they couldn't go down to the local store and buy baby formula. They need a mama. They need a mama who gave birth to that baby. And they began to wonder, where can we get someone to nurse this baby? And Miriam, the sister who had been walking along the water, she steps out and she says, I, I know a lady that could take care of that baby and, and, you can, and could nurse that child and raise him and make sure he grows strong and, and is well fed. And so that morning, they were afraid of the Egyptian guards. That morning, they were afraid of Pharaoh. But by that afternoon, the guards were there 
there for their protection. The guards were there to guard, to make sure everything was okay. And Moses is taken home to his mama. Can you imagine that? Now, what a miracle. If that was your life story, we'd pull you up on the stage at North American Youth Congress. And we'd say, let me tell you about this guy. He was going to be murdered. And then the president, the prime minister, the king, brought him into his home and raised him as his own. And guarded. What a, we'd be going, wow, I don't believe that's incredible. People would be shouting and dancing and speaking in tongues, falling out on the floor at your story. That, that was just, that he was three months old, and this is what's happening in his life. When, when Moses' mother takes him home, his biological mother takes him home, the Bible doesn't expressly say it. But if you're a parent, you know that there are days, there are times when she has moments alone with Moses. And she would say things like, Moses, you are not an Egyptian. Moses, they're going to teach you to speak like an Egyptian and dress like an Egyptian and walk like an Egyptian. I think that's how, I think that's how they walk. They're going to teach you that there are many, many gods. They're going to teach you that Pharaoh, your, your step-granddaddy, is a god himself. But Moses, you are not an Egyptian. You are a child of God. You are a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You were called out. You are bought with a price. You are special. You are important. You are different. You are not like everyone else. There are not many gods. There is one God. Moses, you are not an Egyptian. My dad pastors in South Carolina. South Carolina, there's not a huge amount of diversity uh, of culture and, and race. It's growing more and more every year. We go home and we find Colombian restaurants and Cuban restaurants. And I go, what is going on? This is awesome. But when I was a kid, wasn't a ton of diversity. But my, my dad had this habit when he would do a baby dedication. For the most part, the folks in our church were just good old Caucasian rednecks. My dad would get that little baby boy or baby girl in his arms and he'd begin to quote scripture. Repent and be baptized, everyone. He would quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then he would begin to say, You are not an Egyptian. And I was kind of like, Yeah, dad, that's pretty obvious. Uh, uh, You see his dad, Bubba? (laughs) He's obviously not from Egypt, dad. But, but I began to, as I got older, and as I had a, my first baby girl, my parents came and they met us at the hospital when Sophia was born. My dad picked her up, and I watched. It was finally my turn to hear him say to my baby, you are not an Egyptian. You see, in, in the book of Exodus, 
Egypt was a picture of the world. It was a picture of sin. It was a picture of bondage. God's chosen people, they live in a land that is not their own. And because of that, they are bound by it. They're taskmasters and there are chains and there are heavy burdens. And they cannot come and go as they please. And they can't worship as they please. And they can't sacrifice as they please. And all throughout the remainder of Scripture, nations like Egypt and Babylon and Persia are a picture of the world. For a moment, they will provide you with some sort of substance and appreciation. But they come with chains and they come with bondage, and they come with false doctrine, and they come with things that will not satisfy your soul. And, and you have to decide. You have to realize someday in your life, you are not an Egyptian. You are bought with a price. You are a chosen and royal priesthood. You are not like the world. You don't live like the world and talk like the world. You don't think like the world. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is not many ways to heaven. There is not many roads to salvation. Jesus is the only way. I wish you believed that tonight. Would you clap your hands? You are not an Egyptian. You are special. You are important. You are different. We can believe that that's how Moses' mother raised him. Because there comes a time in Moses' life where he becomes... He's very aware that he is a Hebrew. He's very aware that his people are being, are, are being oppressed and, and they are being mistreated and they are being abused. And he becomes very discontented with this. And he wants, to, he wants to defend them and he wants to protect them. And eventually that would cause him to fall out with his Egyptian lords and, and the family that had raised him. And Moses would flee across the desert for fear of his life to get away from them. And he would get in a land called Midian. And he would settle and say, this is my life now. I won't be a Hebrew. I won't be an Egyptian. I'll just be a priest. Or I'll just be a Midianite. I'll just be a shepherd. out in the, my, my life is, will be of no major consequence, but that's fine. I'll just retreat away from the eyes of those who need me. I'll retreat away from those who say I can't be what I was called to be. I'll just go live in anonymity somewhere, and that'll be okay. But God had a different plan for Moses' life. Moses, one day, is out with the sheep. It's been 40 years that he's been in Midian. He's out with his sheep. I know you know these stories, but they're important. He's out with the sheep, and he looks up, and he sees a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he thinks, let's go investigate that. Let's see what that's all about. So he wanders over, and he's checking that out. What is this? And a voice comes from the bush. Moses. What what was was out here? Moses. Take off your shoes. Okay, that's a weird way to start a conversation, but let's do it. We'll just kick these that way, and now we're off to a good start. And who are you? I'm, I'm, I'm God. Oh, yeah, you're God. Okay. Nice to meet you, God Bush. I, I've heard the cry of my people in Egypt, and I have chosen to, I'm going to send you home. You're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, about that, God, um, what had happened was, is uh, I, don't, I don't talk real well. 
And, uh, you know, I haven't spoken Egyptian in 40 years, and they don't really like me there. Not only do the Egyptians not care for me, but the, the Hebrews don't really like me either. So you're just going to throw me right in the middle of two people that want me dead. And uh, so I got an idea. I'll just keep doing the, the shepherd thing, and uh, you keep doing the bush thing. And uh, we'll just, God says, Moses, the staff in your hand, throw it down. All right. He throws the staff down and it turns into a snake. Now, if this was the story of the chronicle of the life of Cole, it would end there. I don't do snakes, okay? I just said, Lord, you obviously don't know me, and I don't know what's up with that. I'm out of here. But God says, pick up the snake, and he picks it up, and it turns back into a staff, and he's like, now that was pretty cool, all right? That was pretty cool. Uh, I like that. And then God says, stick your hand in your cloak, and he puts it in, and he pulls it out. And it's covered in leprosy. And he goes, you know what? I don't like that trick as much as the last one. Let's not. And God says, put your hand back in your coat. When he pulls it out, he's clean again. And God says, Moses, I'm not sending you on your own. You're not going to go into this battle by yourself. You're not going to fight this enemy alone. I'm going to send you with signs following. When you leave Egypt, they will know there is a God in Israel, that the children of Israel are who we say they are, that they are the children of God, and that he is greater and mightier than Egypt and Pharaoh and all the false gods and all the idols. When you leave, you will know. The bush tells him his name. I am that I am. I am the all-sufficient one. I have everything you need. Do you need a healer? I'm your healer. Do you need a deliverer? I'm your deliverer. He gives him the name of God that the children of Israel would refer to him as until the name of Jesus was revealed in the New Testament. If that happened to you, you would write a New York Times best-selling book. My Day with the Bush. The voice of God, the snake, the leprosy, the name of God. Take off my shoes. General conference, you'd preach all over the world. This guy heard from God in a bush, miracles, boom. Who can top that? It's pretty, pretty boss, huh? A few days later. Now, I, obviously you're beginning to understand I have an overactive imagination they call it ADHD or something like that I don't know what that's all about they need to run another test (laughs) Moses walks to the palace of Pharaoh (laughs) kicks open the door I'm back like who is this old shepherd I'm here for my people. God said, let them go. Uh, no. Okay, I didn't see that coming. I, you know, I thought you were going to say we could let them go. But, and God says, Moses, do you still have the staff? Moses informs Pharaoh, Pharaoh, listen, you're going to let God's people go. You can let them go now. Or you can see the hand of God at work in Egypt. That is up to you. But you can you imagine? Oh, man, I, I wish I sometimes wish I could go to Washington, D.C. I can talk about it now because they can't hear me. I'm in Canada. I wish I could go and say, hey, I'm here. Christians are in charge. Everybody out. But, you know, I can't get away. Can't get away with that. 
Moses says, God is going to show himself strong. And Pharaoh is n- neglects, he, is, he, he, he does not believe, he cannot imagine. For 400 years, the Israelites have been there. God has not intervened on their behalf. I, I just, you, you're gonna, we're not giving up a free labor force. Have you seen the pyramids? They're coming in great. And we're not getting rid of the dudes building them for free. So Moses says, okay, God is going to send plagues. He's going to. And, and the first plague, the next, the next day, the first plague, the Nile River, their, their source of commerce, their source of travel, their source of food, their supply, a, a God that they worship, the Nile River is, is turned to blood. Moses and Aaron, his brother, they stand and they stretch the rod out over the, the, the Nile and it turns to blood. Pharaoh is obviously shaken by this, but he is not, uh, his, his mind is not changed. The Bible says his heart is hardened and he does, not, uh, he does not allow the children of Israel to leave. And so the next day, frogs fill the kingdom of Egypt. Frogs come out of everywhere. Sometimes when I tell this story, little boys are like, cool. But we're not talking about like one or two little frogs that you can play with. No, we're talking about there's frogs in your cereal bowl. There's frogs in the refrigerator. There's frogs in your car and in your bed and in the bathtub and in the toilet. And there's, there's frogs everywhere. And you can't sleep and you can't lay down and you can't sit down. And you can't have any peace of mind. Ribbit, ribbit. Every time you try to go to sleep, there's frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh says, Moses, get rid of the frogs, man. That's just weird. So the frogs go and then lice and then flies. You ever had one fly stuck in your car? You're rolling the window down and you're... <laughs> get out of here. Can you imagine swarms, thousands, millions of flies everywhere? And then the livestock begins to die. All of their animal, all of their, all of their resources begin to die. And then boils burst up on their skin. And they're, they're in pain and they're in agony and they're in suffering. And then fiery hail begins to fall from the sky. That sounds like something from a video game. Honestly, the enemies are crowding in. You hit your four-button combo and fiery hail falls. That's happening. They're dying. And Pharaoh's like, no, we're not, we're not letting your people. Man, I would, I would not be the right guy for this because I would enjoy it. I say, yeah, Pharaoh, keep us, keep us a couple more days. I, you just wait till what's coming tomorrow. Oh, yeah, it's going to be bad. Oh, they're going to be writing about this for 10,000 years. Yeah, they're going to say, that Pharaoh really messed us up, didn't he? You just do your thing. I'd be talking smack. He'd probably have my head cut off real quick. I mean, we don't, we don't, we, we're so accustomed to these stories, but think about it. If that was you, you're standing at the height of the greatest kingdom of the world. And you are bringing it to its knees by holding up your staff and calling on the name of the Lord. How incredible. How, how much anointing. How much power. How much connection to God. He hears the voice of the Lord. The Lord ministers through him and uses him. And all of Egypt and all of the world's eyes are upon him. There's no revival that we could ever imagine like what was happening in Egypt at that time. And then locusts come and, and darkness comes over the land. And eventually, as you know the story, The 10th plague, the death angel comes into the camp. Moses says, let let my people go. And if you don't, tomorrow you will send us out. The Bible says Moses is the meekest man that ever lived. He's not trying to start a war. 
He says, if you'll just let us go, you'll, you'll avoid judgment, but Pharaoh will not let God's people go. And in that evening, the death angel comes through the camp of Egypt and the firstborn son of all the house of Egypt, the firstborn of all the livestock and all the animals that are still alive, every firstborn dies. And Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron in. He says, listen, I want you to get your people. I want you to get your wives and your children. And I want you to get your, your animals. And I want you to get out of here. I want you to leave and I don't want you to ever come back. Moses says, all right, but hey, listen, we ain't leaving broke. We ain't got any money. And we're starting off, we're going to start with a good economy. So you say, all right, listen, we're leaving in a little bit. But before we leave, go to your Egyptian neighbors and tell them you want their stuff. And like, I don't think that's going to work. Just do what I said. Or I'll put a plague on you. Okay. So they, they go to their neighbors. Knock, knock. Uh, hello. Hi. We're your slaves. Um, we want all your stuff. What do you mean you want all your stuff? All your good clothes, your Jordans, your Xboxes, your laptops, your silverware, chandelier. We want it. We want everything. Clean it out. Everything nice you had. Give it to us. And you know what the Egyptians do? They go, all right, we'll be right back. <laughs> they gather it all up. And the next morning, you have an estimate of two to six million Jews who that morning were slaves. And now the Bible says they're leaving Egypt with a high hand. They're pumping their fists. They're high-fiving. They got money. They got wagons. They got jewels and, and clothes. And it's falling. Out. They're going, we're rich and we're free. We're rich and we're free. We should write a song. They're saying, Moses did it. We love Moses. Everybody that has a child for the next 10 years names it Moses. Boy or girl, everybody's Moses. They're singing, Viva la Moses. Woo! They're singing, they're dancing, they're shouting all the way out. They're giving the loser. <laughs> we, you should have let us go at the bloody river stuff. For three days. They're singing and dancing and eating and we're free and we're rich and Moses is the best. We love Moses. Isn't he awesome? This is great. We're going to the promised land. Hallelujah. God is good. And then they get to the Red Sea and a couple days at the beach. This sounds nice. And then somebody says, hey guys, Pharaoh and his army, uh, they're behind us and they look pretty mad. And I think... My Egyptian's not real good, but I think they're saying, we're going to kill you all and leave you here in the wilderness to rot and die. And they're all like, Moses, you idiot. Nobody's naming their kids after you now. Man, you know what? This is not in my notes, but I'm not even looking at my notes, so who cares? I've been a uh, pastor's kid most of my life, and I've been a pastor for four years and an evangelist for three years before that and you know what this sounds crazy to us but we do the same thing oh pastor thank you so much 
You found me in the midst of my darkest hour, and you taught me the truth, and hallelujah. God saved me. I love you, pastor. You're so wonderful. And then the first bad thing that comes our way, you know what? That pastor, he's a real, <laughs> I better find another church. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. As quickly as we fall in love with the man of God, we sometimes quickly fall out of love with the man of God, and we begin rejecting the one who helped us find security and helped us find freedom and helped us find deliverance and helped us find all the things that God had promised us. Hey, stick with your pastor, young people. Your pastor will get you out of Egypt, and he'll take you to the promised land. Amen? Now, remember, these people had just seen, over the last few weeks, God unleash his wrath on Egypt. But they've forgotten all about that. I mean, it's just days ago. The death angel thing, the darkness, the fiery hail was just a few days ago. And they go, well, they're coming for us, and now we're all going to die. We might as well just kill Moses and go, well, well, before they even get here. because this can, Nobody, nobody goes over to Moses and goes, hey, what's number 11 going to be? We're going to hit them with like an avalanche or like boulders or, or like llamas or something. What's going to take them out? No, they, no faith, no faith, nothing. We look at that and we go, how could that happen? Oh, but if you take inventory of your own life and you remember the miracles and the signs and wonders and the times that God has forgiven you and delivered you and washed you clean and then the next trial comes around and sometimes we forget. Hey, you better make sure you never stop remembering what God has done for you. He's brought you this far. He's not going to stop now. God speaks to Moses. You still have that rod in your hand? Yeah. Stretch it out over the water. Now, for my money, this is the greatest miracle in all the Bible outside of the Holy Ghost filling God's presence, coming and filling lives. The man holds his staff out, and a super highway splits the Red Sea right down the middle. Now, if this, if Moses was, if I was Moses, this is why God doesn't anoint me this way. You're the children of Israel. This is the Red Sea. I would have went. Ta-da! Now stop talking bad about me. That's what I'd have done. You, I heard you. Out of here. Moses says, let's go. And a pillar of fire from God separates the Egyptians from, I mean, the presence of God. is The ocean is poured back and two million people are marching through with all their wealth and riches. And there's, the ground is dry and they're marching across on dry ground. And they're going, this is crazy. I can't believe this. And, and this is that overactive imagination. The pillar of fire lifts and the Egyptian army begins charging after them. And the way I see it, there's this one old guy. He's there with his big flat screen. And he's trying, he's trying to get out. And they're like, come on, man. And he's trying to get out of the other side. And as he takes his last step out of the Red Sea, the last guy in the Egyptian army, he's not real into, he's not a real great soldier, you know. He's like, yeah, let's get him. <laughs> let's go. He's the last guy in the army. He's not real gung-ho about this thing. He comes in at the same time that the last Israelite goes out and whoosh, and they go, 
that was awesome. Moses is the man. They start singing and dancing, breaking out tambourines and shouting this presence of God they still celebrate that day and this day and they're they're singing about Moses and he's the man we love him he's the king forever and we'll never talk bad about you again Moses and boy can you imagine if God used you to do that if God chose you to deliver his people in miraculous mighty power and incredible man we'd tell your story forever and ever you'd be on the cover of the Pentecostal Herald do y'all even do we even, anybody even still read that uh, anyway, there'd be Facebook posts you'd have 10,000 shares man you'd be TikTok and I just opened the ocean But these are, this is just an everyday occurrence in the life of Moses. I, I got to quickly come to the, to the end of this thing. They get in the wilderness and they don't have any water. God provides water. They get in the wilderness and they don't have any food. Manna falls from the sky. We don't like manna anymore. A quail falls from the sky. I mean, everything they need, Moses speaks to God and God provides. Moses would then be called up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, where the presence of God would come like a whirlwind and a storm in 40 days. In the, and the, the glory of the Lord passes in front of him in the cleft of the rock. And God writes with his own fingers the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's Moses, the same kid that was floating down the river in the basket. Man, if any one of these scenarios happen in our life we would declare this is the greatest moment of my life this is the this is the most the finest hour the best day god gave me the ten commandments god spoke to me in a burning bush god used me to take down the greatest kingdom of the world god used me to open up the red sea moses would receive the history, the law, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle plan, the law for the Levitical priesthood, and the glory of the Lord would pass before him. So the question must be, what was his finest hour? What was his greatest moment? One of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the Hall of Faith or, or the Hall of Fame. We're the best of the best. The miracle workers. The psalmists, the kings, the warriors, the giant slayers, their, their stories are there. But it's not the full story. It's the 144-character version of their story. It's the, it's the tweet version of their life. And it tells of the greatest moment in the life of David. The greatest moment in the life of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Rahab and Gideon. Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel. And it tells the greatest moment in the life of Moses. So what is it? Ten commandments, burning bush, Red Sea, ten plagues, uh, surviving the genocide of his, all of his peers. What was it? What was the greatest moment in his life? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt 
not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I want you to catch that. The finest moment of Moses' life was not the Red Sea. It was not receiving the Ten Commandments written by the hand of God. It was not turning the Nile River to blood. The finest moment of his life was when he said for himself what his mama told him as a baby. I am not an Egyptian. I do not belong to this world. I belong with the children of God. I belong with the people of God and suffering with them is better than receiving riches with the world. I am not an Egyptian. Let me tell you why. Because there would be no Red Sea and there would be no Ten Commandments and there would be no burning bush had he not made up in his mind for himself standing on a balcony on a palace in Egypt that I don't belong here. I don't belong with this world. There is one God. His name, he is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I belong with them. I'm a child of God. Stand to your feet. And your finest moment will be when you can say for yourself, I am not of this world. I was bought with a price. My life is not my own. I willingly give it to the Lord. I belong to Him. The greatest moment of your life will be when you can make the decision, I'm a child of God. In the apostolic church, we put a tremendous emphasis on experience, and so we should. We preach, and the presence of the Lord moves, and people experience things that they never could have anticipated. But because of that, we neglect the language of making a decision. We think it sounds not apostolic. But listen to me, young person. Some things just have to be decided. Some things just have to be decided, young person. To at some point in your life, at 14 or 16 or 18 or 20 or God forbid in your 30s or 40s, because you're going to go through so much stuff that you need to make the decision as soon as possible. But at some point, you're going to have to get confident enough to stand flat-footed on your own without mom and dad there, without pastor there, without your youth pastor there and say, I don't care what the rest of the world does. I don't care what Toronto does and Ontario does. I don't care what Ottawa does. I don't care what Washington and New York does. I am a child of God. I have been bought with a price. Let me tell you something. Moses did not make a casual decision to serve God. Moses didn't go to elevate youth weekend and walk down to the front and go yeah yeah I love you Jesus I mean I like it it's cool there's a cute girl over there who's watching to see if I do this so let me do it that's not what Moses did when Moses made his decision it changed everything it changed his family dynamic 
It changed his social standings. His financial security was lost. He had to change his clothes. He had to change his language. He had to listen to different music. He had to hang out with different people. There were some friends that he had to lose, and there were some new friends he had to make. Moses did not make a one-time decision to serve God. Moses didn't at a moment of euphoria, a moment of excitement, a moment at a youth weekend or youth congress or a youth camp, go down to an altar and make an overture to God that he never intended to live up to. You know that people in Moses' life that he loved and cared about, his brother and sister, his nephews, men, men and part of his family, chosen by God to do a great work for the kingdom of God. At times, they came to Moses and said, come on, man, let's just go back to Egypt. I know there's bondage there. I know there's chains and whips. I know they'll beat us. I know that we'll die in shallow graves there, but at least they'll give us enough. They'll give us just a little bit. They'll give us, and Moses said, you don't understand. We're going for milk and honey, baby. We're going for houses we didn't build and vineyards we didn't plant. There is a better life to be achieved with walking with the Lord. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to Egypt. I've made up my mind. I am a child of God. Would you lift your hands all over this room right now? Come on, lift your hands and lift your voice unto the Lord. The Lord wants to speak to some of you. Some of you came here tonight and your mind has not been made up. Your decision has not been settled. Your heart has not been fixed. But God is saying, come on. Come on, serving me is the best case scenario for your life. Walking with me is full of abundance and blessing. Oh yeah, you might have to lay down some things, but you're laying down bondage. You're laying down chains. You're laying down suffering. And there's milk and honey to be gained and there's houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant there's big walled cities that are going to come tumbling down and giants that are going to be slain Moses was able to be mistreated with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin Hey, I know that sin is pleasurable for a season. I know at times being an Egyptian and being a prince of Egypt sounds cool, but all of it fades away and it leaves your body racked and ruled and controlled by the things of this world. Lay it down. Lay it down and pick up an incorruptible crown. Pick up a crown that will not be destroyed. One more time, lift your hands high unto the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram. And on Facebook, search Life Church, and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.